Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful conversations. We're going to talk about life and love and basically everything in between. This is a place where done is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where you can really just come as you are. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it, y'all? Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have fun too. Scout's honor. I promise you this. I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, you are so welcome. And before we get started, pause and make sure you're subscribed to the Refine Collective podcast on iTunes so that each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And if you're an old friend, um, welcome back. Hi there. I already know you're all subscribed and good to go. But would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be incredibly grateful for that. Now, I used to feel like all weird and awkward about asking you to do this, but then I listened to Oprah's podcast and even she asks her listeners to do it. In the podcast world, those subscribes and ratings and reviews really, really help us. So thank you in advance. You are the best. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, find me on Instagram at The Refined Woman or my podcast-specific account at The Refined Collective and send me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Okay, you are in for a really big treat today. I have fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford from Aspire Fertility in Austin, Texas on the podcast with me today. She is also the host of As a Woman podcast, which is all things fertility related, as well as female empowerment and leadership. And she is just such an incredible woman and has made it her life mission to really educate women about their fertility options. And as someone who is 34 and single and wants to have babies some days, she has been such an incredible resource and person for me. So on the podcast today, we talk about everything from what is egg freezing and how do we know if and when and how it works. When should you freeze your eggs? What is that process like? How much does it cost? What are things that we can do in the meantime to um, protect the quality of our eggs if we are waiting for a time in the future to have babies? So, so much good stuff. I mean, I just could have talked to her all day. I feel like I should have paid her for this conversation. So y'all are getting a free consult for your egg fertility. So get ready. It's incredible. Natalie is a dream. So let's get into it. Welcome to another Refined Collective podcast episode. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I have been waiting and waiting and waiting to have this particular guest on my podcast. You guys may remember the episode that I did in December 
baby's Botox and body image, where I unpacked for the first time publicly my thoughts on egg freezing and fertility and navigating that conversation as a woman in her 30s, single. And so what I did was I just went on like a rampage of research and I stumbled across Dr. Natalie Crawford and she's based in Austin, Texas. This woman's message and vision for women and fertility is so powerful. I feel so honored to have her on the show today. She is going to just blow us away with really practical insight on fertility, egg freezing, all the questions. And I'm, I'm bringing all the questions. So Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here today. Kat, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be able to dive into this topic. I am so passionate about educating women about their own bodies, their reproduction, their fertility. And I'm just thrilled to be here. So thank you. Well, thanks for taking time out of your day. I really appreciate it. I just told you before we started, like you were number one on my list this year of who I wanted on my podcast. I love it. It was like <laughs> Dr. Natalie Crawford, Oprah, and <laughs> Beyonce. But if we can get Natalie, like we're, okay, cool. we're in a good space. Uh, being in that group feels amazing. So thanks so much. <laughs> yes. So before we kind of get started into the practical of what is egg freezing, when did it start, kind of all that that information, why are you passionate about this? Like what's your story around fertility and how did how did this become something that you're like, this is my message, I need to share it with women? Thanks for asking that. So I went through OBGYN residency and then an infertility fellowship. So that's a really long journey to be a fertility doctor. It's four years of OBGYN and then three years of infertility training. And I had already decided I wanted to do fertility because I just loved the nerdy stuff. I loved the science in the lab. I loved the hormones. And in residency, after I'd already matched and I knew I'd be a fertility physician, I experienced three miscarriages and then an ectopic pregnancy on our own journey to get pregnant. And here I am, a physician, and I was finding myself in chat rooms and online and hunting down practical information that could pertain to me about trying to get pregnant. And that sparked a really keen awareness that one, infertility does not discriminate, and two, even educated women are lacking the resources for how to get to this stage. What do they do next? How is their age impacting their fertility? And then in fellowship, I had a great time in fellowship. I was out at the University of North Carolina. It was a lovely program. And I felt like I was saying the same thing on repeat every single day. So to every woman who was sitting there, I was talking about really big basics. This is how you ovulate. This is how you run out of eggs. This is what your age does. This is what happens as you let time pass while you are chasing your other professional dreams. And every woman would say, I wish I had known this earlier. I wish somebody had told me this earlier because maybe I would have made a different decision. Maybe I would have started trying sooner or maybe I would have considered freezing my eggs. So there was this basic awareness that women did not have the education about their own body that they needed. That's what prompted me to start putting stuff out on social media. So I started my Instagram account at Natalie Crawford MD almost four years ago. And that is when doctors were not on social media. I got a lot of, it's not professional to be on social media. You need to keep your professional and your personal life separate conversation from the other physicians I knew. But I really believe that 
if I wanted to spread this message to women, I had to deep dive and go where they are. And so that's online and in social media spaces and just started talking about it. And I realized really quickly how much it resonated, how there was just not good information out there. And that just became fuel for my passion to spread this message even more. Yeah, I think it's so it's so fascinating to me just to hear your own story of like infertility and that journey because I just feel like everyone I know has had a miscarriage. I, like I don't I I think I know one person in my life that has just been like, "Oh, I just got accidentally pregnant. I didn't know that was going to happen." But my whole life, I didn't think that was the case. And just, I wonder if that's just coming from like an older generation where our parents really didn't talk about this stuff. We didn't talk about fertility or you don't talk about if you have a miscarriage or like IVF is like almost like a four letter word that you don't want to admit to people that you've explored. And so as I've over the years had conversation with friends and more and more of my friends are being honest and open and public about their struggles with fertility. I think I've gotten to a place where I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is super common. And the place I got to last year is I turned 34 last July and it was like that biological clock that has always been there. It was like loud and proud in my ear. You feel it, right? Suddenly you're very acutely aware. I think you hit the nail on the head is that we're seeing the tides change a little bit. And I think it's amazing, Mm -hmm. meaning women are talking about their miscarriages, even celebrities. You're seeing people talk about their IVF journey and they're taking pictures and their doctor's office and they're telling you really clear basics. This is how many eggs I got. Mm -hmm. This was my embryo transfer. I got a pregnancy test that was positive. So when women are sharing that at the very beginning of their journey, not knowing if they'll miscarry or if the pregnancy will be fine, they are opening up the discussion and normalizing something that should be very, very normal. Miscarriage happens in one in four pregnancies. And so if that is the statistic, we all know people who are having miscarriages, right? We all know people, the rate of infertility is one out of every eight women. So we all know people who have struggled with infertility. It's just, do they feel comfortable enough sharing their story with you or not? And I think as a single person, I have felt, I think I just always thought, oh, like I'm gonna, when I get married and I start having kids or start trying to have kids, like it's just gonna work out that way. And I think the thing that happened when I turned 34 last year, it was kind of this awareness moment of every year I've always thought, well, this will be the year I meet someone. Well, this will be the year I meet someone. And I was like, never the girl that was like, oh, I have these like massive career aspirations. I mean, I thought I would like get married at 21 and start popping out kids at 22. And so I just felt like, man, here I am and my life isn't hasn't turned out the way I thought it would. And I'm grateful for that because I've had, I have such an incredible life and, but I haven't gotten to like have children the way I thought I would yet. And so I started researching and everything that I was finding outside of the information you were offering, I was learning, I was like, what's egg freezing? Like, and I don't understand how a thawed egg can be as good as a fresh one. And like, I'm so confused. And then I would research or talk to doctors and it would be like, well, you know, you really should have done this seven years ago. 
And so I felt like, well, crap, like, should I just not do this anymore? And so I think it already felt like such a tender place in my heart to even like think about and start asking the questions that it made me wonder if like, if as women, we're not asking the question partly because we're like, this isn't where I thought I would be. And then we're not asking the questions. So we don't know what our options are. You're so right there. I think one is that unlike other big goals in our life, women often are very goal-oriented. We just presume that having a family is one of those goals that will be achieved because it seems like an inevitable part of our lives because we want it. But the truth is that's not the case for everybody or sometimes you're going to need help to achieve it or you have a different goals that are taking precedent at a primary moment. I think failure and denial are really strong emotions. So it feels like a failure to think about the fact that you may not have the family you dreamed of. And the denial emotion is so strong because you don't know who to turn to or where the good information is. So it seems easier for most women to just ignore it for a little bit too long because it's scary. This is scary stuff. Nobody wants to be in a position and say they may not have kids when being a mom was an integral part of the core of who they thought they would be, you know, in their future or having children is an important part of their life plan, especially if you're single and you're waiting for somebody and you're not ready to do it on your own. It's all really scary. So how do we start unpacking that like fear? How do we start navigating that conversation? Is it just kind of starting with like, what is egg freezing and what are our options? Like, how would you start that conversation? Yeah. So I think the first thing to know And I always tell people is egg freezing was experimental until 2012. And that's really important to know because it feels very trendy because people are talking about it now and people are talking about it because it is available. So when I first started practicing infertility, it was 2013. So egg freezing had just come out of the horizon. If you had seen me two years prior to that, we couldn't offer it to you. It was only done in experimental studies. Once it got that non-experimental label, once it could be rolled out to the public, that's when we really started getting trust in the process. And the reason why it became no longer experimental was that the technology got better. And that's good. As technology improves, that's good for us. I think to start to unpack egg freezing, you have to really break down a lot about how the natural body goes. And I think that's really key to understanding the process because it's going to be different for every single person. And so if I'm going to give my spiel about the eggs in a little short, non-overwhelming way, I like to use the analogy that you have a vault inside your ovary, and that's where all your eggs are, and you are born with that vault. So here you are as a baby, you've got your vault with all your eggs, and when the vault is empty, that's menopause, and every woman's going to go through menopause at some time in her life. Two different things happen as you get older. You have a drop in the number of eggs in the vault, and you have a drop in the quality of eggs in the vault. I hate the word quality. It really relies on just genetic stability of your eggs. Can they split evenly and have a normal chromosome number? But that decreases as we get older because our proteins break down and they're not as strong, just like we see that in our face as we get wrinkles as we get older too. The Drop an egg number is not something we can measure directly. So I can't look inside the vault and see how many eggs you have. But every month, a group of eggs comes out of the vault. Each egg grows inside a follicle. And the number of follicles or eggs that come out of the vault every month is proportional to how many remain inside. Meaning you have a lot of eggs remaining. There's a lot of eggs that come out every month. 
You have very few eggs remaining. Very few eggs come out every month. That concept is really important. One, because we can measure the eggs that are outside the vault. And two, in an egg freezing or an IVF cycle, you can only get the eggs that are outside the vault. You can't tap into the vault. So you and your best friend and your other friend, everybody goes through a cycle at the same time. You're all going to get different numbers of eggs. And it's based on your own unique potential on where you are in this process. In a normal month, the brain sends out a hormone called follicle stimulating hormone or FSH, which stimulates one egg to grow. That egg ovulates. All the other eggs that were out of the vault die. And the next month you have a new group. So this process is happening over and over and over. And that's how women run out of eggs so fast. One way we can check the eggs outside the vault. So if I were to see you in my office, we're going to talk about egg freezing. I'd say, let's try to get an idea of what expectations are for you, because that's going to put your mind right to understand what are we trying to achieve with this process. One thing we would do is we would do an ultrasound and you can count the follicles outside the vault. So that's amazing. You just literally count them. And the second is you can do a blood test called AMH, which stands for anti-mullerian hormone. And AMH is a complicated hormone, but in its simplest fashion, it's made from the cells that surround every egg outside the vault. So more eggs outside the vault means you can get more with IVF, means higher AMH. Fewer eggs outside the vault, lower AMH. So we use these two numbers to set expectations. So an average woman who's around age 30 I'd say you should have about 16 to 20 eggs that are available. So that would be normal. But you may fall above available each, each month. month. Correct. So if we're going to do a cycle, okay. that's where we should fall if you're average. But you may be above and you may be below. And to complicate everything, the human body is not perfect. So your body's not going to release like 20, 20, 20 every single month. It's going to fluctuate a little. That's the average. Mm-hmm. So you see all this month-to-month variation and woman-to-woman variation that kind of muddies the water for the process. My job, if I'm doing egg freezing, is to try to trick your body. I have to override your normal hormonal systems in order to get your body to get all 20 eggs to grow because you don't want to, right? Your body does not want to carry 20 babies at once. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't. So that is the art of what everybody in the field calls the IVF protocol. And you'll see that different women are on different protocols. It's a combination of suppressing your body, medications like birth control pills, estrogen, ovulation blockers, injections, and then medications to stimulate the eggs to grow, which is almost unanimously FSH. So that same FSH hormones, you take it in daily shots, So if you're on Instagram and you're seeing somebody share her egg freezing story and she's doing the shots, that's the stimulation medications. That's FSH. Those daily shots usually last less than two weeks. So it's really not a very, very long process. We feel like it's a long process because it has to be timed on your cycle. And usually we lead in with that suppression, which for most women is birth control pills for about three to four weeks ahead of time. So you have a month of suppressing your body. You're not really coming in to see me very much. The point of suppression is to stop the brain from sending out any FSH so that I have all these eggs that are very, very hungry. Then you start your stimulation, which is your daily shots that you do every day. And now you're taking enough FSH to come in and fill up all those receptors on your eggs in order to get all 20 of them to grow. That's the labor-intense part. So I see women all the time, like, I don't have time to do egg freezing. And I say, I just really need you for two weeks. And I don't need you every single day. You'll come to the office every two to three days for an ultrasound and a blood blood work. 
my office, we do those appointments between 7 to 8.30 because we have a lot of professional women who need to leave and get on with their day and they don't want to be in the waiting room forever. So it's a very quick appointment. And we're monitoring as the eggs are growing and we're watching them grow. And then the most invasive part of the process is the egg retrieval or the extraction procedure where we actually go and we get the eggs out. In most clinics, mine included, that is with IV sedation. So it's like a twilight anesthesia, similar to how people get colonoscopies. So it's very low risk. You're not paralyzed. You're still breathing on your own, but you do not remember a moment of it, which is good because we go in vaginally with a really big needle and we take out all your eggs that way. But then you're done. So if you're freezing your eggs, you're done with the process. So I usually have all my patients come and see me afterwards so we can talk about how many eggs did we get? What was our goal? Should we do another cycle? So sometimes women who are older or who have fewer eggs can make up for this by having a higher quantity of eggs. This episode of the Refined Collective Podcast is brought to you by my very own free guide for single women, six tips to activate your dating life. Raise your hand if dating as a woman of faith in today's swipe right, swipe left culture has ever felt like a total struggle fest. Or maybe being single in our culture today feels overwhelming, lonely, discouraging, frustrating. And maybe if you're being really honest, it can even feel hopeless. Listen, single gal to single gal, I totally get it. But did you know that doing the same thing over and over again while expecting different results is known as the insanity cycle? Friend, it is time to walk into a freeing, exciting, and purpose-filled season of singleness. It's time to activate your dating life. I created a free guide for you, and by free, I mean zero dollars, called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life to equip you to shake things up in your season of singleness. You can grab it right now at bit.ly slash TRW dating tips. Now you will walk away knowing number one, the biggest mindset shift that will transform how you show up in your dating life. Number two, I'm going to teach you how to get unstuck in your dating life. And three, I will show you the number one thing you can start doing today that will radically change your season of singleness. And finally, the three things I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago about dating. You don't have to wander around for years like I did, insecure, uncertain, and discouraged about your dating or lack thereof life. So if any of this resonates with you, pause and go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W dating tips and grab your free guide. Again, that's bit.ly slash T-R-W dating tips. All right, let's get back to it. Is this covered by insurance a lot? I mean, it totally, totally depends. Okay. And then I'm also thinking about entrepreneurs like myself. Insurance is like a different game. Like it's a lot more expensive. Yes. So what we see is that it is not covered nearly enough of the time by insurance. Some of the tech companies, which tend to be more progressive, do a better job of this for us. But I even see patients who have fertility coverage that doesn't cover egg freezing. I think this is highly discriminatory, meaning if you were to come and fertilize the eggs, even with donor sperm or random guy sperm, they would pay for the whole thing. But if you're just freezing your eggs, 
they are not paying for any of it. That's a very paternalistic old school view that I believe will change eventually, but insurance companies are not always in tune with real life. Anyways, and so I really struggle with that. So I see single women who have this benefit if they freeze some with donor sperm, but if they're doing it on their own, they have to pay for everything out of pocket. And that can be really, you know, one barrier to success, even wanting to do this. Right. And and what about the AMH test? Is that a little bit more accessible um, with via insurance or is that primarily like an out-of-pocket cost as well? It depends on the insurance plan. Again, a lot of them, a lot of them cover it. So the majority of insurance plans cover fertility testing. So I can check you for your fertility, but they're not going to cover treatment. It is a blood test. So even my patients who don't have that coverage, it's you it's a blood test that costs about a hundred dollars. So oh, nice. that's not an outrageous ex- I mean it's not free, but it's not an outrageous expense to at least get your fertility evaluated and understand where it is. One big problem is that women get this idea in their mind that the AMH test is a marker. Okay, so my AMH is normal and I'm 34, so I'm good. I can wait a little longer because I'm not running out of eggs. And I always say AMH is just measuring your fertility right now, right at this moment. It is a moment in time. If you imagine a graph with a line that is dropping And I have one data point. I don't know the slope of the line, meaning you could be dropping really fast. You could be dropping really slow. I just know where you are right now. So in no way is this telling us anything about the future. It's just telling us about right now. That being said, the most important thing about AMH to me is that if you're already low, you may do something completely different. So let's say your AMH is normal. You may say, okay, well, I'm still thinking about egg freezing, but I'm not doing it yet. But if your AMH is already low, we know, hey, it's now or never. We got to get things moving for you. So you may make a completely different decision if we know your AMH is low already. And is there anything you can do like physically if you have a low AMH? Like I'm thinking like dietary or supplements. Like, is there anything you can do to like help yourself out and to nurture the eggs that you do have? I love this question so much. So if I'm going to nerd out sciencey for a minute, if we think about quality of eggs. So if you remember back to biology, you've got meiosis, which is cell division. Your eggs are frozen in a stage of meiosis called metaphase, which is where your chromosomes meet in the middle. You just envision this little line of chromosomes. They're being held apart by these proteins called meiotic spindles, and they are frozen like this the moment you are born. And they do not split until you ovulate. This is why when you ovulate when you're 20, you are unlikely to have a child with genetic abnormalities if you get pregnant. But when you ovulate when you're 40, your chance of having a child with a genetic abnormality is much higher. That's because those chromosomes have been held apart for 40 years. And those proteins break down and then they're more apt to pull unevenly. So that's the quality factor. We think that quantity is partly what you're born with, other stress on your body, and also toxins and exposure. So for example, we know that women who smoke will run out of eggs earlier than women who do not, and they'll go into menopause earlier. They'll also have poor quality of eggs. So they will both drop their quantity and their quality. There is thought that environmental toxins such as BPA and phthalates and things like that play a huge role in this process also. That research is just starting to be uncovered. 
And it's mostly done in laboratory studies. But so what I usually say is, you know, you can't control everything. If you're born with a low number of eggs, you're born with a low number of eggs. If you have a genetic problem that causes you to run out of them early or an autoimmune disease, you can't control these things. What you can control, though, is giving those chromosomes all the nutrients they need to try to split evenly and try to get your body to recruit as many eggs as they can per month. So this includes limiting toxins. So no smoking, no marijuana use, limiting alcohol, um, looking at your products, so your beauty products, trying to see if you can use clean beauty products because those are a huge source of endocrine disrupting chemicals. Other things that can impact your toxin exposure are things like cooking in Teflon. So I tell all my patients to cook in stainless steel or cast iron. Um, handling like thermal receipt paper actually has chemicals in it, not microwaving or heating up plastics, you know, drinking out of glass or things like that. Those are things that you can do. We also know that animal products are a huge source of environmental chemicals. They also can cause inflammation on the body. So my patients, I usually tell them to limit, it looks like red meat's the worst. So to stop eating red meat or to limit red meat, you know, look kind of eliminate processed food from your diet, no sugars, so that you're really eating whole foods, plant-based eating. It is not like you have to exclusively be that if you're not into that, but certainly cutting down. So I usually tell my patients, you know, one serving of meat a day or less and no red meat to try to control what we can control. And then there's some vitamins and supplements that can be really helpful. So taking a prenatal vitamin is good. Most women in the United States need extra vitamin D. Vitamin D is an important for cell division. So is um, there's an enzyme called coenzyme Q10, and that can also be helpful for egg quality. I don't put every patient on it because I'm not a huge fan of making you go by and take a lot of supplements. But if you're over the age of 35 or if you have low ovarian reserve, meaning a low AMH or a low number of eggs that come out of your vault every month, then I do put those patients on CoQ10. So question about you, when you mentioned marijuana, what about CBD? I feel like CBD is like having such a moment. <laughs> it really is. So you got to think that yeah. it takes a really long time to do studies on these things, right? Especially reproductive studies or long-term outcome studies. We are just getting the marijuana data and, you know, marijuana has been a while around for a while. Um, I tell patients to get off CBD. Like, I don't think that there's any evidence that's going to be beneficial. It seems like the potential risk is only there without any actual benefit. And if people are using it for stress or for sleep, then I recommend melatonin for sleep or other ways of reducing stress like therapy or acupuncture or things like that. Wow. So I'm going to like change up your whole life if you come to see me because at the end of the day, I can't control your outcome. I mean, I wish I could. I wish I could really, I, that I could win 100% of the time and that every single patient could have success by whatever metric that meant for them. But the truth is we can't do that even if we try our best. But my real goal is to make sure that you're educated on the topic, mm-hmm. you understand what your options are, and you understand why you're choosing one thing over another, yeah. and that you feel like you gave it your best so that we yeah. don't look backward and have any regret. We say, you know what? I did the very best I could during this cycle. I made the choices that were right for me. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't result in what I want eventually, a child or a family, I'm not going to regret that I didn't do something different. And so that's really how I view my true goal as a fertility physician is to make sure patients are really 
empowered and educated to make the choices that are right for them. Well, I think that is, I think that's such a powerful thing. Like you're giving women tools. You're not saying like, this is the only way, but here are ways that you can support yourself. Here are your options. And I think that's, that's, what I've been looking for is like, what are my options? How can I set myself up for success? And how can I take ownership? Because I think I felt for a while, I was like, wow, it almost, it was almost as though I felt like a victim to my relationship status, as opposed to how can I take responsibility for how I'm showing up in this season? How can I look to what I want in the future and start making steps towards that now and today, as opposed to like, I'm just going to think about that one day when. I see this from patients or women all the time, even if they don't ever use these eggs, you know, we don't know what the future will hold. And I'll go through the downstream process in a minute, but that just having them gave them a whole new level of comfort and they were able to approach their future relationships with a better mindset that they didn't have, that their whole family wasn't dependent upon this guy working out at age 35 or 36 or 37, that I can still have this dream of a child, even if it's not with you, that it's allowed them to be more open and honest about themselves and not putting so much pressure on a new relationship really early. So there's a lot of studies that have shown that the benefit of freezing your eggs exists beyond just if you use them later. There's a huge, you know, psychological benefit to not having all your childbearing just be waiting, waiting, waiting to see what happens. So a question I have um, is, is it just an egg problem or like our bodies are getting older too, right? Like, so is it, is it, So my mom had a baby, my number five baby sister was born when she was 41 and Grace, my youngest sister was born when she was 43. And so my mom, like, she's like, listen, people are going to tell you your body is too old, but I had babies and I was fine. Although they were both high risk pregnancies. She had had like blood clotting and had to give herself shots every day. So I would say that it was kind of like more high risk than maybe she like was letting on for us. But I think that's what I'm curious about too. Is like, okay, let's say you have these eggs, like how long can you use them? And since it was experimental until 2012, like, do we have any, do we have research on like, what are long-term effects of using a frozen egg or like, are they really viable when you go to actually use them? Okay. These are fabulous, fabulous questions. So one, yay for your mom. (laughs) I will say um, that overall, your chance of getting pregnant per month, if you're over age 40, if you've had a child before is about 10%, which is pretty, pretty good. If you've never had a child, you're trying to get your first child and you're over age 40, it's going to be less than 3%. So there's definitely a discrepancy in women who have and have not had kids when we look at the data. Certainly, if we uncouple the idea about carrying the pregnancy and your eggs. So a lot of the reason why we use this really terrible term called advanced maternal age or geriatric pregnancy, if you're over age 35, is due to the increased prevalence of genetic abnormalities of your eggs, then making the child at a higher risk for a genetic disorder or you a higher risk for miscarriage. There's actually not much more harm in the actual pregnancy As you get older, you can carry pregnancy still as long as you're overall healthy. There are some increases in high blood pressure or pregnancy or gestational diabetes, but these things, as long as you're getting good prenatal care and managed, we let healthy women carry pregnancies up to age 50. Now, your eggs cannot sustain that. So you'll have to use donor eggs or have frozen your eggs at a much earlier time period for that. 
but your, your uterus can do the job much later than your ovaries will let it. One thing that's really interesting about egg freezing is that as the technology changed, eggs survived the freeze thaw process really well. And that's been a huge game changer. So part of the reason why it was experimental prior to, prior was because they didn't survive very well. So you're going to come in and go through this procedure that's still invasive and give yourself hormones to get like a 50% survival of your eggs. That just doesn't sound like it's ethically a good thing to do. Now we see egg survival rates. You'll see national averages between 80 to 85%. In my clinic, it's 90%. So there is still a lot of user variability. But if you go thaw your or freeze your eggs, when we thaw them, 90% of them will survive. And so that's really good. Now, your embryo survival rate. So if we just do basic terminology, an embryo is a fertilized egg. So once the egg is fertilized with sperm, it becomes an embryo. Your fertilized embryo, if they're fertilized at the stage of implantation called a blastocyst, which is what most of us do now, has a 98 to 99% survival rate. So women who would tell other women, hey, embryos survive better than eggs, or there's still some fertility doctors who will forcibly get single women to use donor sperm to fertilize their eggs because they say they have to do it because the survival rate's better. The survival rate is better, but I'm a huge believer that that's a really personal choice. Mm -hmm. And it depends on your goal. Yeah, if your goal is to be a mom no matter what with whatever partner and you have limited resources or you're running out of eggs, maybe it does make sense to fertilize with donor sperm. But if your goal is to preserve your fertility for a future yet unidentified partner, and if that partner doesn't arrive, maybe you'll use donor sperm then, then we should freeze them as eggs. Yep, there's a 9% difference. We will lose some as eggs that we may not have lost if they'd gone straight to embryo. But that 9% is not big enough for me and the majority of patients to tell them that they have to do that. And we can often overcome that difference by knowing we're going to have it and adjusting for that in a second cycle. So say, well, if our true goal is to save our eggs for a future partner potentially, then maybe it makes more sense for me to go and get my eggs from this month and then get some extra eggs from next month, especially if we have lower eggs than we'd love. That way we can have the highest chance of achieving our real goal. One question I get asked all the time, and you haven't asked, asked it yet, but you probably would, is how, how many eggs do I need? Like yeah. if I'm going to freeze my eggs, well, how do I know how many to need? Egg freezing has gotten bad press because some doctors did not counsel women appropriately and they used really bad terms like this is a guarantee or your insurance policy on becoming a mom. And that's not at all true. I flat out look every patient in the eyes. I say, this is not an insurance policy. This is an opportunity. We are keeping a door open that we see is closing. And my whole goal for your fertility is to keep as many doors open as possible. So we have lots of options. So it is an opportunity. That's why we freeze them. Humans, when we go through, so also you'll hear people use IVF and egg freezing pretty interchangeably. Essentially, the process that I already described is exactly the same. If you're freezing your eggs and your best friend is going through IVF, you guys are doing the exact same thing to your body. It's when we get the eggs out, the different things happen. Yours would be frozen and then hers would be fertilized. And that's the in vitro fertilization in the lab fertilization. Now, to freeze your eggs, you got to understand what's going to happen to them later to make the most sense of the process. So eggs would be fertilized with sperm. We usually see about 75% fertilization there. So if we got 20 eggs, let's say now 16 of them have fertilized. 
Then they have to grow out to that implantable stage of an embryo called a blastocyst. About 50% will survive. So we say, okay, now of our 16, I have eight that made it to embryo. Okay, well, of the eight that made it to embryo, if we were to test their genetics at your current age, like 34, 35, we'd say about half of them would be genetically normal. So now of the eight, four of them are normal. And now of each normal embryo, if I go and implant it, we have about a 65% chance of pregnancy with each one. So that was starting with 20 eggs at your current age of around 34 to 35. And that gave you, on average, we would say about two kids. Okay. So there's a huge amount of loss, right? So you're, you're walking around with 20 eggs and we whittled it all the way down to probably two children. Mm-hmm. When you stop at eggs, we're making presumptions about the latter part of the process. Mm. I don't know who the guy will be, what his sperm will be like, how it will fertilize, how they will grow. If they're genetically normal, we don't know all those things, right? If your best friend's going through IVF or you actually fertilize them now, you get some answers to other stages of the process. So if you came to me and you were married, so you got your guy, but you're not ready for kids. So you say, hey, I'm 34. This is my guy, but I'm chasing this dream and we're not ready yet. I'm scared about my fertility. We would take you all the way to embryos. We'd go through the whole process and we'd stop there because I could have immediately know, oh, man, these eggs, these 20 eggs were not enough because we only got one embryo and you want more than one child. So let's do another month. When you do eggs, we don't have all that data and we're making presumptions. So we usually feel like at your current age, at age 34 to 35, we're going to want about 15 to 20 eggs to have one to two children. And that's just on average. So if you are average, as I already said, and you have about 16 to 20 eggs, then you should get that with one cycle. If you happen to be running out of eggs and you can only get eight or 10, that's okay. But you either have to make the decision that these eight to 10 eggs may or may not achieve my goal, but I kept the door open. So that's good. Or I want to double down and I'm going to do another cycle. So I'm going to get the 10 eggs from this month, the 10 eggs from next month, and then I'm going to have a higher chance of getting to that goal. And so doing that, do you suggest, let's say, so whether it's the person like me who's single and isn't married yet, so thinking about freezing your eggs or the person that's in a relationship but not ready, when they go to have children for the first time then or start trying do you suggest that they immediately use those frozen eggs that were from when they were younger or that they try it on their own? Let's say we freeze the eggs today and then I want to have kids when I'm 39. Should we try naturally first? Love this question. So I always say what I want you to do, and I tell every one of my patients this, I said, I want you to come back and see me when you're ready for a family before you start trying. So now you've got the guy, you're ready And we're going to evaluate everything first. Are your tubes open? How is his sperm? How's your egg quantity right now? Because in theory, especially if you're at an age where you still could get pregnant, you could have baby number one naturally now. And maybe your eggs are your baby number two or three because you're going to be 41 or 42 by then and it will be a lot harder. Alternatively, if your guy has got really low sperm counts and it's not going to happen naturally, Let's not waste six months to a year. Let's Mm -hmm. just get going with your eggs or let's consider how many kids do you want? You know, this guy, man, you may have said, I just need at least one kid and he may be 
I need a big family. Maybe we have got to do another cycle now. So your whole goal, we can fill in some of the answers once we have more data, once we've identified who that partner is. And once you're ready to get pregnant, we can reevaluate. So I always say, I don't know what we'll do. We will make a good decision based on how many kids y'all want and where you are on the journey. How's his sperm? How's your tubes? How's your egg count? And then we'll make a game plan for there. Maybe we'll include using your eggs. Maybe it won't initially. So it'll all completely depend. 2020 is in full swing and I don't know about you, but I am here for it. I'm also here human to human to ask you for support. Help me friend to help you. The Refine Collective podcast is one of my most favorite projects that I have ever worked on in my career, but it is definitely a labor of love. We have quite a bit of hard cost each month from software and subscription services to my team who edit and produce the episodes to licensing music and running logistics for all things Refined Collective. Now, because of that, I want to invite you, yes, you, to join our Patreon community. Patreon is this incredible platform that helps listeners financially support their favorite podcasts. You can support the Refined Collective podcast for as little as $5 a month. And we made a bunch of fun different tiers that are jam-packed with free goodies and VIP access to our newest content. And you will be notified before anyone else about our upcoming live events. I'll also be going to you first to find out what questions you want answered and what topics you want covered moving forward. So in the midst of a wild year, I want to ask you, friend, if you'd be willing to link arms with my team and me and sharing some of the load and helping make the Refined Collective podcast the best it can possibly be. So if you want to learn more or sign up today, head on over to patreon.com slash the Refined Collective. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Refined Collective. Thank you so, so much for being a part of this community. What would you say, let's just say like ideal age. I mean, I have women listening to this podcast that are in college all the way to being grandparents. So if you're just to say like, ideally, this would be a great age to consider the egg freezing process. Oh, so there was a good study done when I was a fellow by one of my co-fellows and it showed you still get peak success success rates for most women if you're freezing your eggs by about age 32 to 33, if you're not ready to start a family. And so, sure, when you're younger, you're going to have more and they're higher quality. So if you know, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon and there's no way I'm having a kid before I'm 37, then yeah, let's freeze them in your 20s if you have the resources or your parents want to pay for them as a grad school present or whatever. Let's do it. You won't regret that. But if you are kind of waiting and seeing, I would say if you're not ready to start a family and you're approaching 32, 33, that's when you should be really starting to think about this process, get an evaluation done. Now, do I have women who freeze their eggs at an older age than that? All the time, all the time. So I really hate the shaming that goes on in the field by saying, oh, well, you're 35 and your eggs aren't going to be as good because I believe women are really smart and can make decisions that are right from for them if you give them the facts. So if I tell you at age 40, only about 20% of your eggs are going to be normal, that's a true statement and it kind of sucks. But you, we can decide, well, how many eggs do you have? Do you have 20% of a little bit or 20% of a lot? Does it still make sense for you? 
Maybe it will make sense for you. Maybe it doesn't make sense at all. And so I think it's very important if you're interested in egg freezing that you talk to a fertility specialist like myself and you get good data for you. How many eggs could you get? What is your potential? Understand real life information just so that you can make the right choice. Yeah. And so that starts with what you were saying, like the ultrasound and the AMH test, like that would then be like sort of the first step for someone. Yeah. So my basic visit is all the stuff we've just talked about. So kind of going through what the process looks like, then doing an ultrasound and checking an AMH test. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And can you just, I know it might be different for different clinics or whatever, but what, let's just talk cost for this. Cause in my head, I, I have a price of what I think it is. Um, but Leah, let's just, let's just put the cost out there for, for people. So it's going to be about eight to ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars, with some variation based on what your AMH is. Meaning, if your AMH is low, you're going to need approximately double the amount of drugs as somebody whose AMH is normal or high. So you may actually have to spend more in the medication cost. Got it. So, and then clinics have different things. You know, if you're doing multiple cycles because you need it often, you can get different discounts and. Every state is a little bit different. So some states are mandated and they provide all coverage. Some don't. What most fertility clinics do, so what we do is if you are going to come see me as a patient, I'm going to collect your insurance information before you walk in the door. And then before you come see me, you're going to know how much is the visit going to cost. And we're going to already know, does your plan cover any fertility treatments? If so, what do they cover? What are you looking at? So we want to be really transparent with costs. And I always say, that's a huge warning sign. If you're going to a clinic and you can't get direct answers about cost, mm-hmm. you don't need that in your life. Go find a new clinic. Some clinic yeah. needs to be really, really clear because $10,000, I and mean, it's a lot of money. Yeah. It can have a huge return on the investment if being a parent is one of your life goals. And I ask every woman this when she's comes to see me, I always say, being a parent is more than genetics. It, it doesn't have to be your own genetic egg to bond and care and to be a mom. And if you are okay having donor eggs or having alternative options for your family, then you don't necessarily have to feel as fret about this right now or invest your money if you don't have it. Alternatively, if you feel really strongly that you want that genetic child, we need to know the facts and that sooner is better and make accommodations for that. That's such good stuff, girl. You are just so sharp and on it. And I'm just so grateful for the work that you're doing. I mean, I feel like I have so much incredible information. I wish I lived in Austin so I could go to your clinic. I know. Well, it's only two weeks. You could come visit. It's a great place. You know what? I could do that. Do, do my little sister visit. Yeah, fertility tourism, it's actually a thing. I have quite a few patients who don't live here and they actually travel here for their cycles. And so, yeah, just because they want to have a doctor who they feel really comfortable with and they found me either online or through the podcast and that was worth it to them to be able to arrange their schedule and travel here. So that's actually becoming bigger and bigger in our field as this process is really personal and you don't want to just go to the clinic that's closest to you or that can get you in the fastest. If you don't bond with that doctor or you don't feel like the clinic's being up front with you, go find another one. Yes, absolutely. And I think kind of back to what, how this whole journey started for me a little less than a year ago, I felt so much shame when I talked to different doctors and professionals. And all I felt was like, oh my gosh, I'm such a failure. I didn't do this 10 years ago and I'm behind. And I, I 
firmly believe that like when I am in a place of stress or fear about something, that's going to also impact my body and the experience. And um, so I don't... if that was my whole thing is like, if I'm going to freeze my eggs, it's not going to be because like I'm in terror or like feeling like a failure or stressed out or like, Oh my gosh, if I don't do this now, cause I feel like that would actually have an impact on my body and maybe even my eggs. It would. And studies are consistent with your own feeling there that being stressed or having high cortisol levels, we don't see the same results when it comes to egg number or quality or pregnancy rates as we do when you're not. And I think that goes to a couple different factors. This whole process is stressful. We can't make it stress less. But I always say, how can you feel better about it by feeling like you're really well informed, trusting your care team, having alternative support, whether it's with therapy or support groups or acupuncture, Mm. knowing what you're looking at. I think that women particularly can handle anything that we throw at you if you know it's coming, if I think it's going to be a hard journey and I tell some patients this, I say, this is a marathon. I need you to get ready. It's going to take multiple cycles. You're, they're going to be ups and downs, but you can do it. Mm-hmm. So they know from the moment they're starting, it's not going to be a little linear line, mm-hmm. right? It's going to take some time. But they tolerate that better because we set that expectation at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really key is making sure you know what's coming next, not being led blindly not just going appointment to appointment. You want to understand what this whole process is looking like and how it fits into your future plan because you'll handle the whole thing better if you know that. And then also to say, you know, 10 years ago, this was experimental still. So don't let yourself have that stress anymore because you couldn't have done it then, even if you wanted to. So just let that go. I think the whole new generation of women who are younger than we are, are going to be exposed to this at such a younger stage. I see so many med students freezing their eggs and I love it. Like I would have done that, but this wasn't offered Mm -hmm. then. Yeah. And so I think that by sharing our stories, by you talking about your own fear and how you felt shame, just even thinking about this process or you felt like it was a failure, even though you're not failing anything, but just because you're not at this stage of life you expected it being. Yeah. I think that's really breaking down barriers and breaking down this stigma and allowing other women to talk about this and learn from it so they can make different choices. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Well, Natalie, where can we keep up with you? Where can we learn more about what you're up to? Where can we book our appointments in Austin? Um, and yeah. also, do you have any resources online that women can access? Yes. So one of my biggest resources is I host a podcast called As a Woman. It is in all the podcast spots and there's episodes on IVF, on egg freezing, on all type of fertility educational topics, and then also women's empowerment issues. I have a blog, nataliecrawfordmd.com. And I am also on Instagram and TikTok now at Natalie oh Crawford. Oh my God. TikTok is a whole new world and it's like so fun. And I'm kind of addicted, even though I feel like I'm a boomer over there, but there are so many people. And I think everybody is just really hungry for this information. And so I am trying my hardest to get it out there in all the ways. Well, you're doing an incredible job. And I, that's how I found you was through your podcast. I, one of my friends, I was talking with her about fertility and she was like, Oh, you have to listen to this as a woman podcast. And she sent me like 10 episodes and I thought I need to know this woman. Um, so yes, I I'll link some of my favorite episodes in the show notes for those of y'all listening. 
Thank you. I practice at Aspire Fertility in Austin. We do take online consults. So I do Skype consults for first visit. If you happen to live somewhere like Brooklyn and perhaps want to consider doing some fertility tourism, you can still contact the office and they can book through that. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I'm just so excited for this conversation. And I hope we do get to meet in real life. That would be awesome. I know. I would love it. (laughs) All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to, follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye. Some people take the straight path in life. But at Arizona State University, we respect your twists and turns. They make our online students more driven to excel in their professional lives. That's why our personalized suite of services empowers you with innovative resources and staff that sticks with you. Make your next turn with one of our 300-plus programs at ASU, number one in innovation for nine consecutive years. Visit us at asuonline.asu.edu to learn more.